Okay, last week we took a brief look at the six ages of the world according to the fathers. And then the six absolutely certain signs of the end of the world according to St. Robert Bellarmine, doctor of the church. And then we took a brief look at that most menacing of men, the Antichrist. And a few points again. Remember that the most important thing is not when in history that we live, but how we die. The most important thing, the very most important thing, is to die in the state of grace. That's the purpose of the Catholic Church, is to help you have a holy death. Second point, throw out any of these rapture books, anything by Hal Lindsey, any left behind, any of that kind of trash, get rid of it, put it in the wood stove. Third point, if some of the things we talk about seem difficult to understand, there's a reason for that. It is difficult to understand. The church teaches that prophecy is only completely understood in its fulfillment. Therefore, for safe guidance, we're sticking very closely to St. Robert Bellarmine, doctor of the church. And although we're greatly abbreviating his book, which would run upwards of 100 pages if it was put in modern typesetting and translated. So basically what I'm doing for you here is a book report that's woven out of quotes and paraphrases of St. Bellarmine's work, Robert Bellarmine's work on the Antichrist. And I'm refraining from adding my own opinions. The one unavoidable influence that I'm having is that I can only select a certain amount of material to discuss. Therefore, I selected those six points that St. Robert emphasizes as being absolutely certain as the outline for these two sermons. And then within those categories in his discussions, I tried to select the explanations and comments that St. Robert states are the most certain from the teaching of the Fathers. Again, the reason we're spending so much time on this is not simply because the church places this before our eyes two Sundays in a row, but also because there's so many crazy ideas floating around, and I hear them regularly from the lips of Catholics that ought to know better. So this is sort of a let's substitute truth for lies uh, series. Okay, quick review. We saw the history of the world can be broken into six ages. The first age is Adam to the flood. The second age the flood to Abraham, the third age, Abraham to King David, the fourth age, King David to the Babylonian captivity, the fifth age, the Babylonian captivity until the birth of Christ our Lord, and the sixth and final age of the world lasts from the first Christmas to the last judgment, and then it's the end of time. We saw that there are two basic divisions in the sixth age of the world, the Gentiles coming into the Catholic Church, the Gentiles going back out of the Catholic Church. We saw that there are six absolutely certain signs of the, end of, of the end of the world. Two signs which precede the Antichrist are the gospel must be preached in the whole world, uh, the Roman Empire must be terminated. The two signs which accompany the Antichrist, the preaching of Enoch and Elias, also known as Elijah, with savage persecution and ending of all public masses. And then the two signs which follow upon the rule of the Antichrist are his destruction and the end of the world. We took a brief look at the first two signs, and more of a time at the meaning of the termination of the Roman Empire. And saw, in some, it means that until the end of the world, the Antichrist will be restrained from seizing power by the power of the Roman Empire in some sense. The Roman Empire will last in some sense until the great apostasy, which is a rejection of the true faith by the Gentile nations. And during this time, there will be ten kings ruling ten democracies in what used to be the Roman Empire. The eleventh king will rise up, subdue three of the ten kings, and another seven will submit to him. 
The power of the Roman Empire will disappear once the West is subject to the East. The power will shift to Asia, specifically to Jerusalem. We took a quick look at the Antichrist. He'll be Jewish and observe the Jewish laws at least for some time. He will not be the devil incarnate, but he will be possessed in the most perfect bodily instrument of Satan. Although the number of his name is 666, we're explicitly forbidden from guessing who he might be using this number in order to avoid winding up as one of his followers. He will rule the world from Jerusalem. He will deny that Jesus is the Christ and institute Jewish laws. He will proclaim himself to be Christ and God and will demand to be worshipped as such and will attack all other gods, even the true God. So that's where we left off last week. Now we'll continue by looking at one more ugly feature of the man of sin, and then we'll continue with more of the certain signs of the end times. So the Antichrist continued. St. Robert points out that it's clearly taught in both Scripture, the 24th chapter of St. Matthew, the 13th chapter of the Apocalypse, and the 2nd chapter of 2 Thessalonians, as well as in tradition that the Antichrist will possess quasi-miraculous powers of satanic origin. In other words, he will be able to perform many marvels which appear to be miraculous. He will appear to be able to raise the dead and heal the sick. These will be demonic illusions, not true healings. All his marvels will have natural causes, but these causes will be hidden from men. For example, in the 13th chapter of the Apocalypse, the dragon gives his power and throne and great authority to the beast. Then one of the heads of the beast has a mortal wound, but this wound is healed, which makes the whole earth follow the beast with wonder. So one of the heads of the beast has this mortal wound, the wound's healed, the whole earth follows the beast with wonder. St. Robert explains this passage about the beast's head having a mortal wound, which is then healed. Quote, Nearly all the ancient fathers explain this of the Antichrist himself, who will fake his own death, and then by diabolical powers raise himself up again, so that he might imitate the true death and resurrection of Christ, and by this means seduce many. Close quote. All the fathers, all of them, teach that the Antichrist will be the most incredible magician. He'll be possessed by the devil from his very conception, or at least his infancy, and he will be able to perform all his marvels by satanic power. St. Cyril states the Antichrist will be the most very highly instructed magician, learned in witchcraft, spells, and the black arts. And his marvels are called lying wonders because they are performed by the father of lies. So we've seen a few more details about the Antichrist. He'll be possessed, at least since his infancy. He'll be learned in all the occult arts, sorcery, incantations, and so forth. Because of his incredible powers of satanic origin, he'll be able to perform things which appear to be true miracles to men. Why will the Antichrist perform these miracles? St. Robert notes that the purpose of all these wonders will be so that he can prove that he's God just as Christ our Lord did true miracles to demonstrate his divinity. So the Antichrist will do these miracles so he can convince everybody he's the Christ, so he can convince everybody that he's God. Okay, now let's pick up again with the absolutely certain signs. First, the two signs which will accompany the Antichrist. First one, the preaching of Enoch and Elias, and the second one, the persecution. The preaching of Enoch and Elias. Enoch is a great-grandpa of Noah. You can look that up in Genesis 5, and he was taken up. That means all of us are descended from Enoch. Elias 
or Elijah is the prophet who, as we all know, was taken up in the chariot of fire. Neither of them have died yet. St. Robert points out that Scripture proves these two prophets will live and will return. They will return to preach against the Antichrist. Enoch will preach principally to the Gentiles and Elias principally to the Jews. They will both preach and perform miracles, convincing many to reject the Antichrist and to turn back to the Holy Faith. St. Robert states that it is heresy or proximate to heresy to deny that the two witnesses in the Apocalypse are Enoch and Elias. Thanks to Elias' preaching, the Jews will largely convert. St. Robert, quote, Enoch and Elias will come again. They are still alive. The reason they are still living is that they will oppose Antichrist when he comes, and they will conserve the elect in the faith of Christ, and indeed they will convert the Jews. And this is obvious from the words, and he shall restore all things. For to restore all things means to call all Jews and heretics, and perhaps many Catholics who have been deceived by the Antichrist, to the true faith. Close quote, St. Robert Darman. After their preaching, Enoch and Elias will be killed, and they'll lay on the streets of Jerusalem for three days, while the forces of evil have what amounts to a satanic glee party. Then, to the horror of the followers of the Antichrist, they will both be resurrected and assumed into heaven. That's what St. John is referring to in the 11th chapter of the Apocalypse. Now, I'll read a shortened version that I've edited just for the sake of this. Apocalypse 11, 3 and following. And I will give unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. When they have finished their testimony, the beast shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and shall kill them. And their bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, where our Lord also was crucified. And the nations shall see their bodies for three days and a half, and they shall not suffer their bodies to be laid in sepulchres. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelled upon the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and a great fear fell upon all them that saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying to them, Come up hither. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Close quote. The Holy Spirit. Remember again, St. Robert says it's heresy or proximate to heresy to deny these two witnesses are Enoch and Elias. So, summing that up. Enoch and Elias are still alive. They're coming back during the reign of Antichrist to pose him with preaching and miracles to convert the Jews who will finally become Catholics. Also to convert heretics and Catholics who have been duped by the Antichrist. They'll be killed, they'll lay out in the streets of Jerusalem. After three days, they'll be raised from the dead and assumed into heaven. Now the persecution. St. Robert, quote, Absolutely all the evil men together shall be in the army of the Antichrist and shall with open authority attack all the saints of the church. For nowadays there are many men who pretend to be in the church, who conceal their mouths, but their hearts are outside the church, although their bodies are inside. But then they shall all break out, says St. Augustine, in open persecution from their hidden hatred. Close quote. How vicious will this persecution be? St. Augustine says that during the time of the Antichrist, the devil shall be loosed, and therefore the persecution will be that much greater than all the preceding persecutions in history. For this persecution, occurring while the final judgment is imminent, shall be the last which will be endured by the Holy Church throughout the world. The whole city of Christ 
being assailed by the whole city of the devil as each exists on earth. St. Hippolytus and St. Cyril say that the martyrs killed by the Antichrist will be more glorious than all the preceding martyrs because all the martyrs before the time of the Antichrist had to battle against human ministers of the devil, but these last martyrs shall have to fight against the raging devil himself. St. Robert makes three points concerning this battle. He's commenting on the 20th chapter of the Apocalypse, which speaks of the battle of Gog and Magog upon the stains. His three points. One, the battle of Gog and Magog is actually the battle of the Antichrist against the Church, the very last persecution which the Antichrist will raise up against the Church all over the whole world. Two, it is very probable that Gog signifies the Antichrist himself, and Magog signifies his army. Three, the Antichrist's army, Magog, has this strange name because of the people who are in the army. This is a very interesting point. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 10, there's a list of the descendants of Noah after they when they populated the world after the flood. This list is also known as the Table of Nations. Well, so what? What does this have to do with the army of the Antichrist? Everything. See, the name Magog is found there. And St. Robert thinks that the greater part of the army of the Antichrist will either be made up of barbarians arising from the land of Magog, or else he thinks the army will be extremely brutal and cruel because the men descended from Magog are proverbially noted for being savage. So the army of the Antichrist will be made up of savage men from Magog, and what is that supposed to mean? Magog is the father of a people traditionally known as the Scythians. Scythia, the homeland of Scythians, is an ancient term for a region of Europe and Asia north of the Black and Caspian Seas and stretching eastward from the Danube River to China. And what do we call that nowadays? Russia and its satellite nations in Central Asia. In other words, St. Robert thinks that the greater part of the army of the Antichrist will either be made up of savage men from Russia and surrounding Central Asian countries, in fact, even less some, or of men whose cruelty will be on the same scale. As for the ending of public mass, quote, the persecution of Antichrist will be the most severe and the most notorious, so that all public religious ceremonies and sacrifices will cease, close quote, St. Robert. He continues, quote, In the time of the Antichrist, because of the horrible persecution, the public and daily office and sacrifice of the church will cease, as Daniel clearly teaches in chapter 12, verse 11. And from when the time the continual sacrifice shall be taken away, thus shall be 1,290 days. The consensus of all the fathers is that in this place Daniel is speaking of the time of the Antichrist. And what this passage means that the Antichrist will prohibit all divine worship, which is now practiced in the Church of Christ, and most especially who prohibit the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. Close quote, Cardinal Bellarmine. The Antichrist will prohibit all divine worship, which is now practiced in the Church of Christ, and most especially who will prohibit the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. So the persecution of the Antichrist will be the last persecution in the world, and savage beyond all previous persecutions. I will make a parenthetical observation. In case we might wonder why this is going to be so savage, it's because purgatory ends on Judgment Day. What does that mean? It means that all the saints at the end of the world have to get their purgatory time done before death. And that is why God will allow the Antichrist to be so savage to these people. That's the end of my parenthetical remarks. At any rate, the army of the Antichrist will be made up largely of men 
from Russia and the surrounding Central Asian countries or of men whose cruelty will be comparable to them. The tax will be so violent that all public ceremonies of the Catholic Church, including the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, will cease. We'll end today by looking at one of the two signs which fall on the rule of Antichrist, his destruction. St. Robert teaches that the length of time the Antichrist will rule the world is clear from chapters 7 and 12 of the book of the prophet Daniel and chapters 11, 12, and 13 from the book of the Apocalypse. The Antichrist will rule the world for three and a half years. He explains why the time of the witnesses, the two witnesses, Enoch and Elias, are 1260 days while the time of the Antichrist is 1290 days. The Antichrist rule will be a month longer since he will rule for that much longer after he kills Enoch and Elias. St. Ambrose, St. Jerome, St. Gregory the Great, St. Thomas Aquinas say that at this time the Antichrist will go to Mount Olivet. Then, in a totally blasphemous imitation of our Lord's ascension into heaven, the Antichrist, by the power of Satan, will ascend into the air, pretending that he's returning to heaven. So be lifted up by the power of demons, and everybody will be admiring him as he rises up and acclaiming him as God. But then suddenly, by the order of Christ our Lord, St. Michael will knock him out of the air. He'll fall to earth, which will swallow him up, just as it did the men who rebelled against Moses, and he'll fall down into hell. And of the Antichrist. <clears throat> the fathers teach that about a month and a half after the death of the Antichrist, our Lord will come in judgment. That's a topic for another day, maybe next year sometime. Okay, let's review. Today we looked at one more particularly horrible feature, the Antichrist. That he'll be a master of the black arts, a sorcerer like none that's ever lived, consecrated to Satan and possessed by him from his conception or infancy, raised up and tutored and skilled in all the satanic arts of magic, incantations, witchcraft, and such. He'll have these apparently miraculous powers of satanic origin, all which are lies, but which include the ability to apparently heal the sick and even raise the dead. He'll even apparently raise himself from the dead. And he performs all these marvels with one goal in mind, to convince everyone that he's the Christ and that he is God. We took a look at three more of the absolutely certain signs of the end of the world, the two signs which accompany the Antichrist, which are the preaching of the two witnesses, Enoch and Elias, Antichrist's persecution and his destruction. We saw that Enoch and Elias are still alive, that they're coming back during the reign of the Antichrist to pose him with preaching miracles to convert the Jews who will finally become Catholics, also to convert the Catholics and the heretics who have been duped by the Antichrist. We saw they'll be killed and lay out in the streets of Jerusalem after three days raised from the dead and assumed into heaven. In terms of persecution, we saw that all the evil men in the world will be enlisted together in the army of the Antichrist, that St. Robert thinks that the greater part of the army of the Antichrist will either be made up of barbarians arising from the land of Magog, or else that the army will be extremely brutal and cruel because the men from Magog are proverbially noted for being savage. We saw the land of Magog runs from the Danube River to China. We saw he'll ferociously persecute Catholics, that this persecution will be so violent that all public religious ceremonies at the Catholic Church will totally cease. That includes the public celebration of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Finally, we saw that he'll rule the world for three and a half years, and then while attempting a blasphemous imitation of our Lord's ascension into heaven from Mount Olivet, we saw that St. Michael will slam-duck him right into hell. Why do we spend so much time on this topic? I can't even drive to Mass without seeing rapture bumper stickers. The bookstores are full of this stuff. 
the TV, there's movies. You can't, we have to drive out this rubbish with the truth. We have to be informed by what the church teaches and not what a bunch of people that have made these things up think. There is no such thing as a rapture. This was cooked up by a Protestant preacher from the Plymouth Brethren about 150 years ago, John Darby. No such thing. It is pure fiction. No millennium. There's no such thing as a thousand-year reign of peace with our Lord as King. It was condemned centuries ago under the name of Killianism. You can look that up. It's spelled with a C-H. In 1944, the Holy Office of the Inquisition condemned this error once more. It doesn't exist. I don't care what you've read. Okay. What ought we to do then? Don't get panicky or depressed. The infinitely wise God knows from all eternity exactly when he wants us to live. And he'll give us all the graces we need at any time in history when we're living to become the saints that he was calling us to be. We're in the church militant, not the church crybaby. We're soldiers of Christ. Here we are in the battle. It's a battle any time you live in history. Who cares? If we're living in the end of the world, and I'm not up here telling you that, if we are, though, who cares? God put us here now. He knows what he's doing. So what do we do? We live a good Catholic life. Get serious about the sacraments. Get serious about holiness. Stop sinning. Grow in holiness. <clears throat> Make good confessions. Make fervent communions. Say your daily rosary. Fervent prayer. St. Alphonsus says, The man who prays will be saved. The man who does not pray will not be saved. It's a pretty simple equation. We just do what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it in the best possible way, and God will reward us.